and welcome to the second podcast of The 60-Year-Old Student. Hello and welcome back to my podcast, The 60-Year-Old Student. Today I'm going to focus on the three N's. Needs, neurons and nothing. So I just want to pick up on uh, three things that have really stayed with me since my foundation year. Things that I'd learnt for the first time and I've been thinking of ever since and reflect on a lot. And they're very useful for me to bring into conversation, to use to frame things that I'm thinking about on other subjects, if that makes sense. Anyway, the first one um, I want to start off with is a real favourite of mine and it's called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. Maslow presents us uh, a list of propositions which he deems necessary to construct a meaningful theory of human motivation. He then sets out to formulate a theory. Noting a serious lack of research data in the field, owing to the very absence of such a theory, he offers up his work as a framework for future research in order to gather such data. Now, identifying that man is a perpetually wanting animal, Maslow created a hierarchy of needs built through the lens of motivation rather than behaviour, which can be influenced by other factors. He constructed five categories for human needs. They are physiological, safety, love, esteem, and then at the top, self-actualization. And in order for any of these needs to be realised, lower ones need to be met first, hence the hierarchy. The lowest level satisfies life at its most fundamental biological state. That is air, food and water. Deprived of these three things, a man will want for little else as his immediate survival depends on them. I think there's the big threes there, isn't there? If you don't don't breathe for three minutes, you're dead. If you don't drink water for three days, you're dead. And if you don't eat food for three weeks, you're dead. That kind of thing. However, once these things have been met, higher ones emerge, such as, let's say, clothing to protect you from the elements and shelter to protect you from predators. Then these progress up the pyramid to other attributes such as financial security, love of family and respect from others, to name but a few. Now, this is not a fixed model though, and certain variants must be allowed owing to the uniqueness of every individual, obviously. For example, a person seeking a path to enlightenment on a road through Buddhism or Taoism will not want for money or possessions or self-esteem. They will probably just exist on the lower levels of the hierarchy for air, food and water, and maybe food and clothing, depending on the intensity of their road to non-attachment. Social and political conditions also come into play here because people must be allowed the freedom to think and to seek knowledge, and so too they must have the liberty to imply the fruits of such learning in order to work or achieve a better quality of life and independence, and not all social or political structures allow for that too. So there's going to be pressure from the top down onto those, onto that hierarchy. And also to be considered are illnesses such as depression, which can strip a person of their motivation to survive beyond a certain level. But despite this, the five needs are never fully satisfied and the drive to fulfilment will always remain once any temporary barriers are removed. Now it's funny because I happened to be reading an article about this this morning And it's surprising that the psychology of why we are dissatisfied or why we are perpetually wanting animals is probably hardwired. Feeling contented, this article suggested, isn't good for the species because it helps us from seeking further benefits or improvements. Very interesting theory. 
and the article suggested that if satisfaction and pleasure were permanent, there might be little incentive to continue seeking further benefits or advances. So, feeling contented wasn't good for the species. Interesting. Worth more research and reflection. Okay, that's end number one, needs. And now, end number two, neurons. This is based on something I touched on last week, um, Jack Merizov's transformational learning theory, which remains highly relevant today to those who educate adults, despite its numerous inherent problems and critics. Now, it can be argued that its popularity can be explained by the adoption of the concept as a metaphor rather than a hard theory. And because of these inherent problems and critics, then it could be argued that its popularity can be explained by the adoption of the concept as a metaphor rather than as a hard scientific theory. And in doing so, it has been said that it becomes quite a beautiful metaphor. Now, the premise focuses on the potential for change in people's mindsets. That is, the assumptions and beliefs and expectations which form their frame of reference in the world. Now, the transformative learning process begins with an activity that removes a person from their comfort zone in a way that is disorienting to their fixed mindset. Now, people are fixed in the way they view the world, and sometimes this can be a bit blinkered, and you can become set in your ways and set in your thinking. But experiencing something that does pull you immediately out of your comfort zone and disorientates you, especially your fixed mindset, can cause you to reevaluate the frame of reference through reflection and wider discourse with others, therefore enabling positive change. It breaks the old cycles of negative thinking or blinkered views to allow people to become more inclusive, discerning, reflective and accepting of change, which can only be positive in life. Now, the result is a positive view of themselves and their world to that previously held, having their old ways challenged. Despite criticisms owing to its lack of contextual detail, viewed as a metaphor, this idea can transcend all theoretical debate to become an accepted truth, I think. Learning has a transforming effect on a person's life. The word transformative, however, is more than an adjective to describe a type of learning. As Merizov believed, its effect was an all-round wholesome raising of the self as a complete break from the past, as significant as a butterfly emerging from a chrysalis. And learning is the acquisition of knowledge and skills brought about through education or experience of the world. And viewing this as a metaphor for transformation releases the phenomena from the bonds of hard theory, I think, and frees it up to be more widely practiced, let's say, and discussed and modified. And extensively, if that is applied extensively in a more inspirational manner, then transformative learning has greater potential, I think, for positive impact within diverse communities and cohorts, and real concrete effects can emerge from it as an abstract rather than as a fixed theory. And now the final N. There's a really wonderful, clever guy online. His name is Robert Kuhn, and he runs a channel and a site called Closer to Truth. His videos on YouTube are absolutely amazing, transforming. I was watching them even before I attended university, and boy, they really helped me step up my level of thinking before I went in uh, to start my degree. I thoroughly recommend you check out the Closer to Truth channel. It deals with uh, reflections on uh, philosophy, theology, quantum physics, cosmology, the whole thing. It's just amazing. And he speaks to some of the biggest names in those fields. Anyway, one day he reached out 
to people who subscribe to his channel to ask for feedback. And so I sent in an email saying how valuable I thought the content was. And I briefly described my journey, uh, how things went a bit wrong for me along the way. Um, I walked the Camino to Santiago and the journey after the big reflective question of where to next or what next in life has brought me back to study. And thanks to him and Karen Armstrong's amazing books and Bishop Robert Barron, his wonderful uh, contemporary reflections online as well, but definitely, definitely Robert Kuhn's Closer to Truth video, how they affected me so much and how they gave me the grounds for the thinking and the discourses I have now I'm at university and what I've learned and how I can put all the things that I learn, I think, together in maybe new coherent ways that are helping me understand my view on life or my search for the meaning of life or the answers to the big questions. Anyway, he was kind enough to write an email back saying how he enjoyed uh, listening or reading about my story and he sent me an article that he wrote on nothing and it's all about the concept of nothing and this really elevated my level of thinking into the origins of the universe and how it all came about and I'll go on to that in a minute but what he was talking about was is like a taxonomy of nothing how can you describe nothing in its truest form and what are you actually talking about when you say nothing and it's a nothing that's stripped of obviously all matter and all physical beings but all non-physical either so platonic abstracts and ideals um, numbers and mathematics uh, consciousness absolutely everything uh, quantum physics even the potential for quantum physics stripped of absolutely everything is absolute nothing because you can have layers of nothing or describe existence through layers of nothing but his final layer and of which there were nine is complete and utter state of nothing with not even the potential for anything in the quantum realm and it struck me that it's self-evident that we are surrounded by something and that something cannot have come from nothing or else there would have been still something there no matter what form it took it would have been something not absolute nothing boy you should read this article it's called levels of nothing there are multiple answers to the question of why the universe exists by robert lawrence kuhn and it was published in the skeptic magazine and that got me really thinking um, over the months because i think that i could rationally argue or i'll attempt to in my naivety because don't forget i'm only a first year undergraduate so my ideas have yet to be tested by greater minds than mine but I think I can rationally argue that the cause of the universe or the cause of the world must exist because something cannot come from nothing and there are obviously laws within the universe that describe how the universe functions there must be laws outside the universe that describe how the universe came into being so the cause is there it's a complete mystery I'm not suggesting for a minute I have answers but there must be a cause of the universe, something that lies outside the universe. And this article was really, really helpful in me to sort of push that as far as I can. And I've yet to fully research it, but on my level of thinking, it really enabled me to think about that level of nothing. And so I conceive that we have the cause of the universe. Now, as Thomas Aquinas said in his uh, Summa Theologia, when he was talking about his five proofs, of the existence of God, he also claimed that it was a complete and utter mystery. But at the end of his proofs, he always stated, and it is that which most men call God, or it is that which some call God. Now, 
You can take that a further step down the road. That is why I'm reading theology, to try and get more meaning and understanding into this. But I'm starting off with this cause. I do not know. I haven't got a clue what a cause could possibly be. However, yes, of course, you can throw attributes at it. You can look at the world around you. You can start throwing attributes at the world around you. Start describing it, its beauty, its complexity, its design, its purity, its insane, complicated detail. And therefore, maybe some of those attributes might stick to what you might consider was the cause of all of that. That'll take you down other philosophical or theological roads. But it's a great start. So those are my three ends that I picked up in my foundation year and a little bit before I started university or even thought of going to university. And I think they stick with me. I, I can't stop thinking about them from time to time. I can't stop introducing them into conversations or thoughts that I'm having about new things. So that's it for this week. I hope you've got something from those uh, three concepts. And obviously, if you're interested in any of those, you can. everything is online to go and research them and have some deeper reflections on them. And maybe you can come back to me with those thoughts. You can find me on social media, on Instagram. Uh, please do get in contact because I can only tell you that I know or I'm absolutely aware of what I don't know. And I'll never have all the answers. And I'll only ever learn from other people who don't necessarily have to be high scholarly academics all the time. So I love to hear other people's views. They help me shape my views overall. So that's it for this week and look out for more content, hopefully in a week's time. Until then, it's goodbye from me, the 60 year old student. Don't forget, I've got no plan. I don't know where this is taking me, but as far as I'm concerned, I'm just getting started. Yeah.